Today's scripture reading is from Romans 12:1 through 13. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercy of God, to, pres- to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transferred by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is you, what is good, and acceptable and perfect. For, the, for by the grace of God given to me, I say to everyone among you, do not think of him yourself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we may have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we though another. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in preparation to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness, let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, Hold fast to one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. This is the word of the Lord. May be seated. Well, good morning. All right, I'll take it. It's good to see you all. Welcome to Disciples Church. It is so good to be with you this morning, uh, to be able to open up the Word of God with you and for you. My name is Jonathan Mosier, and it's my privilege to be able to present that Word to you. And so I'm actually going to ask if you would turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews 13. That's obviously different from the passage that's printed in your worship folder this morning, but it'll be our jumping off point uh, for the morning. And I want to start by saying, if you're with us and you're visiting with us, joining us for the first time, or maybe you've only been here for a few weeks, today is going to be a little bit out of the ordinary, pretty different from what we ordinarily do. Our usual um, approach to Sunday mornings is that we want to work our way chronologically, expositionally, through books of the Bible. So one book at a time, one portion of that book at a time to see what it is that God has for us. And over the last few weeks, we've kind of taken a hiatus uh, from that ordinary approach in order to address some things that we think are going to be pivotal to our life as Disciples Church. We've been working, and as we've shared with you over the last several weeks and really uh, over the last several months here at Disciples Church, we've been working towards bringing more structure and organization to the way that we function as a church. And as I shared last week, our heart in that is not that we would have formality for the sake of formality, right? There's really no benefit if that's one's approach to these sorts of topics. But our desire in bringing more structure and organization to what it is that we do as a church is so that we would be able to effectively fellowship and minister with one another. To be as faithful as we can to what we see laid out in Scripture, the various instructions and examples that are given to us, and to be able to explore those things together as a congregation, really as a membership within the context of Disciples Church. And so if you were here, we talked about that kind of with the idea of a trellis and a vine, that the vine is what God is organically working in us through His Spirit, that His Spirit convicts us of the Word, that He transforms our hearts, He renews our minds, we find our life in the vine 
mind that is Jesus Christ, and so as we find our life in him, we grow both individually and together. But the structure and the organization that we're talking about really provides the trellis upon which we as a church can grow. See, we want to be a church and partner with churches and be involved eventually in planting churches that proclaim the gospel of grace. Churches that put on the display of the unifying power of the gospel, and we want to do that by being a body of believers who are covenantally committed together to fulfill the Great Commission. And so as we address this idea, what we said is that the way that God has chosen to interact with his people is through covenant, that covenant is actually the language of our God. It's the way that he communicates with his people. It's the way that he interacts with us. It's the means by which we understand his unfailing love and affection and pursuit and desire of us as his people. It's the way that he chases us down and makes us his. And what's so special about covenant is that it's a commitment from God in which he himself is the maker of the promise, the guarantor of the promise, and the final keeper of the promise. See, God's covenant with us is not dependent on our ability to perform, but it is dependent on his ability to do what he says he will do. And that leads us to perfect obedience, as we just sang about, because we know that he never changes that he's always faithful, and that he does everything for his glory and for the joy of all people. And that faithfulness, as we talked about last week, ultimately plays itself out in the institution of the new covenant, that because we now have a common experience of his reconciling grace through Jesus Christ's death on the cross and resurrection from the grave and ascension into heaven, because of those things, we are now called together into a new life with one another that his grace shapes us and binds us together, that as a church we learn to grow in extending grace to one another, and that we strive and work together to proclaim through our words and our lives the goodness of our God. So Romans chapter 12, which Gavin read for us just a moment ago, in that passage, the Apostle Paul is giving us an insight into the way that the church actually plays out, into how, the, how God has gifted the church and enabled the church and placed the individuals that make up the church to be the body in that particular place. And the foundation for all of that giftedness, for all the ministry, for all the things that God has called the church to do is really found in verse 5 of Romans chapter 12, which says this, So we though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. So if the question posed is what does it mean to be the church, the answer that Paul gives us in this text is that to be the church is to be members of one another. That of all the things that define the church, and if we were to start going through a list of what actually defines the church, We could talk exhaustively about that for weeks, but if we were trying to narrow it down within the context of Romans chapter 12 and Hebrews chapter 13, what defines the church as its distinguishing mark is that we are being a community of regenerate people, people who've been born again, been given new life, been made into a new being through Jesus Christ. That as a community of regenerate people, we are to know and love one another through that gospel bond. And at Disciples Church, 
we think that the most practical and biblically faithful way to express that covenant together is through covenant membership. Now, I don't know where everybody is in this room, but my guess is for some of you, you hear that word membership and your ears just perk up a little bit. What do you mean when you say that? And there's a whole lot of reasons that people have that response to that particular phraseology. For some of you, you may have had bad experiences in churches where you had interactions with other people who claimed faith in the same God and claimed to love the same things that you loved and you had committed yourselves to one another and that trust and that love was violated in some way or another. Where the church did not function or act as those who were actually regenerate, but reverted into old ways, mistreated and hurt one another. For some of you, and increasingly in our society, and made even more, even, made even more visible by the by the public ministry of some, you may have just seen heavy-handed leaders abuse the church, where church covenants and church constitutions were used as a baseball bat to drive people into line. And yet for some others, maybe your experience of membership in a church is that it's just a wholly unimportant thing, that it's akin to a Costco membership. I register, maybe I get some benefits, but ultimately there's nothing that I can get here that I can't get somewhere else, right? And so the obvious question for us as we have this conversation ought to be this. Is there a biblical text that we can point to that says, thou shalt become a covenant member of a local church? And my answer to that question is no, that verse does not exist in Scripture. But here's here's the way we think about it. We would argue that the way that the Bible speaks about the nature of the church and the interaction of the people within the church and the role of its leadership necessitates membership in the local church. So here's my aim with the time we have left this morning. My aim is to show you that the local church is not just a good idea, but that the Bible assumes that every Christian will partake in the covenant life of a local church. Two, it's to give you a snapshot of the God-given responsibilities and benefits of a meaningful membership and loving leadership. And third, it's to show you that meaningful membership in a local church is the best way to faithfully exercise the, New Te- exercise the New Testament instruction to the church. And we see that assumption of participation in the covenant life of the church all throughout Scripture, and we even see it in the illustrations that are given about the church. Think of the way that the New Testament describes the church. It describes it in Romans chapter 12, as we just heard read for us. It, it describes it there as a body. In 1 Peter chapter 5, it describes the local church as a flock being shepherded by elders who've been called by God. And in Ephesians chapter 2, it describes the local church as a building that is being built up with Christ as its cornerstone. And so as one commentator stated, here's why those illustrations matter. A sheep wandering along by itself does not make a flock. A body part separated from the body cannot be a body in and of itself. And a brick sitting in a field isn't a building. So those illustrations only make sense when an individual willfully and purposefully commits themselves to a local church. And I want you to see this morning why that actually matters. Not from my words, but from Scripture. So Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17, here's how that verse starts. It's not an easy one for us. It's not a comfortable one for us, but here's how it begins. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls 
as those who will have to give an account, let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. And in that text, God is saying there is a divinely ordained relationship of submission and oversight within the context of the local church that we are responsible to observe. But understand that that is not our natural cultural bent as we view what the church actually is and does. Because in the modern expression of the church, we've been trained to view the church as a consumeristic experience. To go get from it what we can while we can, and if we don't like it, to move on. We see it as a consumeristic experience rather than as an expression of covenantal love. And people rarely give consideration when they're considering a church to the idea that, Bible, that the Bible actually calls them to a level of submission. Now, if we can just admit for a minute that that's uncomfortable, and I think that's an okay thing to admit because we wrestle with it personally and culturally, the question, though, still remains for us, how then do you actually obey this instruction without covenanting with a local church? What leaders are you actually to submit to? A pastor at any church? How about someone who just walks in the door and declares themselves to be a pastor? Are we responsible and accountable to them? See, if God has appointed that there are to be leaders in your life to whom you are accountable, how do you know who those leaders are without willfully submitting to their authority? And listen, that is without a doubt a serious and heavy word. That is a big responsibility that the Bible places on all of us. Where will you belong and to whom will you be responsible? But I want you to notice the counterbalance that's included in this text. Notice the weight of the responsibility that is placed on the elders, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. See, likewise, this lays out a pastoral responsibility that gets overlooked far too often. See, without membership, for whom would a pastor be responsible? To put it in plain terms for us here, as those who've been pastoring Disciples Church since its inception, are, are Dave and I going to be held responsible for those who gather at Grace Hill Church or our brothers and sisters at Redemption Church or at Elmbrook Lake Country down the road? I don't think that's what the author of Hebrews imagined. There is a presumption on the part of the author that there is absolute clarity as to who the members and the leaders are within a given church. And here's why that matters. Because any pastor worth their salt will have had times of prayerful introspection considering that massive responsibility before God. To stand before the great shepherd Jesus Christ and hear him say, how did you care for my bride? That is a heavy, serious weight. It's certainly been a conversation for me and Dave, and I can tell you if we are going to give an account to God for those in our charge, we desperately want to be clear on who that is. See, this passage is laying out a model for what a covenantal relationship actually looks like within the church. Who are the members and who are the leaders? What are the expectations between the two? 
that there is to be both a joyful, prayerful submission on the part of the membership and a wise and gentle leadership on the part of elders so that there can be this mutual advantage of gospel-centered fellowship and mission. And likewise, there are very specific expectations and instructions on who is actually qualified to be an elder and a pastor of a church. And by the way, we use those terms here interchangeably, elder and pastor. You'll find those expectations listed in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and chapter 3, as well as in the book of Titus. And it also, we also find laid out in Scripture what those elders are actually called to do and how they're to do it. So in 1 Peter chapter 5, Peter writes to the elders of the church in the region, and he says, So I exhort the elders among you, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, there's the responsibility, not under compulsion, there's the way that it's supposed to be done, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. That elders are to willingly, gently shepherd and exercise oversight of who? Verse 2, the flock that is among you. And verse 3, those in your charge. So how do we know who that flock is? For whom will these men give an account? Well, the answer must be that there are those who, understanding the beauty of God's design for the church, willingly covenant together as a local church. And lest we miss it, do you see the beauty of this covenant relationship? Submission and loving care. Hebrews 13, members, let them do this with joy and not with groaning. And 1 Peter 2, elders, take this task willingly and don't be domineering. And this only works when you find a body to which you're going to commit. And the only way to be accountable to them is to enter into covenant with them. You join. You're a member. It allows us to share a common understanding around our beliefs, around our mission, and around our responsibilities to one another. And if God intends for his people to operate this way in local churches, then there must inherently be a visible, identifiable group of redeemed and committed people. So the question for the Christian considering the idea and the biblical call to membership is this. Is the membership and the leadership made up of those who you can rely on, who can support you, and those to whom you ultimately will be accountable? Quickly and secondly, we need to consider the role of discipline within the context of the church. Now, this is another huge and heavy idea, but my goal in showing you this is so that you will see the assumption the Bible makes. We find this first in Matthew 18, verse 15. I'll read it for you. It's a heavy idea, but listen to these words. This is Jesus himself speaking. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, Take one or two along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Now understand what's happening here. Jesus is laying out the proper means of reconciliation and restoration for a hurting and sinning brother. 
And he says, you go to that brother and you have a conversation one-on-one. And if that brother does not respond, you take along more people with you to come alongside them, to help them to see the error of their ways, to show biblical love and compassion and pursuit of them. And if they still don't hear that word, take it to the church. Now again, we have to answer that question, which church? Do we just show up at any church in the region? Is the church that's defined there just anybody who happens to be gathered on a Sunday morning? Or is there a presumption that those who make up the church are known to those who are part of the church? And the answer then for this erring brother is to treat them as one who doesn't know God. It shifts you from interacting with them as a brother to approaching them as someone who needs to know Christ. Paul takes this further in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. In the context of that chapter, he's he's addressing gross sin on the part of one of the men who was a member at the church in Corinth. This man had an illicit relationship with somebody related to him, and this man was claiming as his excuse for this illicit relationship the grace of God. And the church responding to this said, well, isn't God's grace incredible that this man can participate in, in this sin and still be loved by God and the church? And Paul writes to this church and he says, look, is grace intended to cover your sin? Absolutely. But is grace intended to fuel your sin? Certainly not. Someone who uses grace as an argument to continue in sin and who will not repent, according to 1 Corinthians 5, ought to be removed from the church altogether. Why? Well, in verse 5 of that chapter, it says this, so that this man can be delivered to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, Why? So that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. He's saying ultimately the the most loving thing you can do to a brother who is erring this way is to let them indulge in their sins so that by some means they might come to the end of themselves and realize their need for redemption and come running to the open arms of their Savior and the church. See, discipline in the context of the church is not like getting expelled from a school or fired from a job or thrown out of the house. The final aim of church discipline is not punitive, it's restorative. Church discipline exists in the hopes that by removing one from communion with the church, they will realize the seriousness of where they're headed. It's not an exercise of power, it's an exercise of compassion. And the practical question as it pertains to membership is this. How can there be a prescribed way to remove a a member from fellowship if there is no means of admitting a member to fellowship? How can the church take up the responsibility of removing a member if there is no defined group that actually makes up the membership? See, without identification through membership in a local body, the Christian community lacks the ability to see this means of salvation work itself out. It lacks the ability to properly obey Matthew 18 and 1 Corinthians 5. And apart from the committed covenantal relationship of membership, discipline carries no authority because if I'm not known and if I'm not loved and if I'm not committed, what do I stand to lose by discipline? You see, brothers and sisters, there is very real responsibility in being a member. And inherent within those responsibilities are those to love and correct, 
to encourage and admonish, to both admit and expel members. And to paraphrase Jonathan Lehman, membership in a church is not a status. It's an office with all of the privileges and responsibilities that accompany that office. Now, I realize this has been incredibly heavy. I get it. I wrote it, right? But I want you to see how apart from membership, there are whole portions of the Bible that we cannot adequately observe. We just looked at the structure and the discipline that the Bible lays out, but the Bible explicitly speaks to this relationship in fellowship, instruction, in service to one another. In, in the book of Ephesians, it says, submit to one another. In the book of James, it says, confess our sins to each other. In the book of Galatians, it says, bear each other's burdens. In the book of Colossians, it says, admonish one another. In the book of Hebrews, it says, exhort one another. And there are 59 uses of the phrase one another in the New Testament that all specifically and explicitly reference the relationship of believers within the context of the church. All of them rooted in the idea that because Christ has loved me so deeply and so well and forgiven me of so much, I can now love you deeply and well. And I can likewise forgive you. So where does the Bible say anything about membership? Everywhere. Membership just means that you make a covenant to make yourself accountable. Membership is not about your name being on a list. It is about committing yourself to those in the place where God has put you. So we at Disciples Church care about this because we care about the bride of Christ. A bride so precious that Christ suffered the brutality of the cross for her, that he sent his spirit to her, and that he appointed under shepherds to care for her. And so before we start talking about how this plays out here, I want to leave you with this idea. Christopher Ashe, a great old theologian, said it this way. The ordinary local church with all its imperfections and weaknesses and oddities and problems has within it the seeds of the spiritual and relational genetic blueprint of a broken world remade. The local church, as imperfect as it can be, serves as an expression and a sign of what God intends to bring about globally and eternally. And when we identify with the local church and membership, we are entering into a microcosm of what God alone can bring about on a cosmic scale. And that is why you too are invited to belong, to prayerfully consider these things and whether God would have you become a member at Disciples Church. So I'm going to ask Dave to join me as we talk about where we're headed as Disciples Church and how we intend to minister with one another in the mission uh, that, that God has given us. When we began uh, Disciples Church, we laid out a mission statement for you. And if you were here in those early days, you heard it a lot. You've certainly heard it since. But that, that mission statement was intended to reflect what we believed God would have for us as a local church. That mission statement is that we are disciples of Jesus Christ, striving to glorify God through gospel-centered worship, community, teaching, and multiplication. 
And ever since we began meeting together, our aim, uh, our, our aim has been that we would equip people to faithfully live and minister according to that God-given identity as disciples of Jesus Christ. Why? So that we might bring glory to Him. And so today we have some really exciting things to share with you that we think are going to be important next steps in seeing this local body develop and mature and grow together. So as, the, as you leave the surface, uh, service today, rather, you're going to receive uh, a set of documents, and those documents are really just the fleshing out of the things that we've talked about over the last several weeks. You're going to be given a church covenant, a statement of faith, and a constitution. Now, if you've been around for any length of time, I don't think there's much of anything that's going to surprise you in those documents. I mean, these documents are really just the encapsulation of what we've been teaching and talking about since we began. But they're also the means by which we solidify our relationship as members of this church moving forward. The covenant is really what we've just been talking about today. It's the basis for our local commitment one to another. Here's who I am as a believer in Jesus Christ. By God's grace, here's what I'm going to do as part of this church. And these are the folks with whom I'm going to faithfully pursue God's will in this place. So I'm going to pursue God's will for my own life. I'm going to use my gifts for the building up of the church. I'm going to work for unity around the gospel. I'm going to pray for the elders as they strive to lead the church faithfully. And I'm going to live life on mission with others who would also covenant. That anyone who would agree to that sentiment would then be able to say, yes, I want to check in on you and I want to love you and I want to care for you. I I want to share my concerns with you and I want you to do the same for me. See, that's not just the role of elders. It's not just the role of professionals and it's not just the role of pastors. That is the common, everyday, extraordinary responsibility of believers in Jesus Christ gathered together in the church. And it is entrusted to each of you, not by us, but by God. And as you read through that document, you'll see that membership, as we talked about, has substantial, has substantial meaning and responsibility. In becoming a member, there is very real ownership in the mission of Disciples Church, and also a blessing and privilege that God invites us into collectively. You're going to also receive a statement of faith, and that statement of faith is really the framework around which we're uniting. It lays out what is essential to believe as a Christian. What actually is biblical Christianity when we call ourselves Christians, believers, followers of Jesus Christ, when we describe the new birth? What does that actually mean? And it also lays out the specific convictions that we as Disciples Church hold. So what do we believe about God? What do we believe about salvation? What do we believe about sin? What do we believe about biblical sexuality? It's all all there for you to see. Because we want you to understand without question where we as a church land on issues of faith and doctrine. And our hope is that you likewise would read that document and say, yes, and amen. This is truth because it's rooted in God's word, and I can in good conscience walk with people who also hold to this. The constitution that you're going to receive today lays out how we're actually going to operate philosophically and practically. 
It defines what member gatherings look like and how they're governed. It it lays out the role and responsibilities of membership. It states what you can expect of elders and of deacons and how all of this works together to help the body grow in faith and maturity. That all of us together as members are called into covenant together and are striving to love one another well. And that Dave and I, as the pastors of Disciples Church, along with whomever else that God may call to shepherd along the way, are striving to live by the standards of what the Bible describes. That we would care for and feed and protect the flock in this place as under-shepherds of the great shepherd, Jesus Christ. And the beauty of that covenantal language is that it allows us to say I'm not in this for what I get out of it. I'm in it to be what God has asked me to be in order to make much of him. So you'll see those elements of worship and community and teaching covered at length in those documents. And I'd like to go ahead and ask Dave to share a bit more about our plan for multiplication as a church. Gospel-centered multiplication. What in the world do we mean by that? Well, at its core... That means being disciples of Jesus Christ who make more disciples of Jesus Christ and so on and so on and so on until Jesus returns. That's what we mean by that. Now certainly that means sharing our faith with those that God has put around us where we work and where we live and where we play as he gives us opportunity to do so, but it also means being a church that partners with and plants other gospel-centered churches, that it doesn't end with us because we aren't interested in the name or the renown of Disciples Church. We are interested in the name and the renown of Jesus Christ and God's kingdom being advanced. Jonathan and I have long pursued relationships with other like-minded churches and with pastors, many of whom you have heard us pray for, some of whom you have met. Danny DeQuisto from Redemption Church in Wauwatosa, you have met. He has preached here, actually, at, when we were at Grace Hill, he had preached for us earlier this year. And then there is Christ Fellowship in Sun Prairie and Crossway Community Church in Milwaukee, Cornerstone Church in Waterloo, Northwest Baptist Church in Wauwatosa, and Watertown Community Church, surprisingly, in Watertown. Now, these guys represent, in part, an intensely local church planting and revitalization network called Pillar. And Pillar is an extension of the North American Mission Board, or NAM. And NAM is the official domestic missions agency and church planting arm of the Southern Baptist Convention, or the SBC. Think of it... This is helpful for me. Think of it as a Russian nesting doll. You guys know what those are, right? So Disciples Church is primarily interested in affiliating with local churches and pastors who are gospel-centric, as we stated, and have a desire to plant other gospel-centric churches. That is pillar. That's the small little egg. Outside of that egg is NAM, the North American Mission Board. And the big egg that holds all of those smaller eggs and other eggs as well, is the SBC. Now, for those of you who are unfamiliar with the SBC or whose ears really perked up when you heard those three letters, 
Let me define the essence of the SBC by asking you two questions. You don't have to raise your hand and you don't need to verbalize it. If you want to, you can, if you get real excited about those kinds of things, but just answer it in your head. Do you believe in the autonomy of the local church to govern themselves as they see fit without outside interference? Do you believe in the church's ability to govern itself without the influence of outside interference? That's question one. Got the answer in your head? Okay. Two, do you believe that baptism is to be practiced upon the credible profession of faith of a believer? Now, if you answered yes to both of those questions, whether you know it or not, you are a Baptist. That's as simple as it gets. Those are essentially the only two things that distinguish Baptists from anyone else. Our affiliation with Pillar and thus the SBC, my friends, will not affect what we believe or how we operate as a church. You won't notice a difference week to week. Rather, that affiliation will support and enhance our efforts towards gospel-centered multiplication and help protect us as our nation and our world grows more and more hostile to the things of Christianity and its teachings. And we wanted to make you aware of this affiliation because we see it as an incredibly good and exciting thing and that it allows us to partner with other like-minded churches and helps us fulfill the Great Commission as Jesus laid out for us in Matthew 28. And we look forward to introducing you to these churches and pastors as our affiliation with Pillar solidifies. And we do have a handout for you. I will show you what it looks like as you leave today along with that Constitution, Covenant, and Statement of Faith. So if you're interested in learning more, you're able to do so. Now, Jonathan and I realize we've talked a lot with you this morning and we have shared a lot with you this morning. Although, to be fair, it's not much longer than the normal sermon that we do, so that's good. Um, and that over the, the, the last few weeks, we have talked about several what's and several so what's. What are you talking about? Why does it matter? But what we've kind of left out and what we really want to focus on now is some very specific now what's. What are you asking us to do with all of these things that you've shared? That's your question to us. First, as Jonathan mentioned, and as you leave today, you will receive three documents that are all stapled together. We would ask that you would read through them, that you would pray through them over the next few months, and that you would reach out to Jonathan and I with any questions or concerns or any needs for clarity that you have in those things. Second, in light of what we have shared in the documents that you'll be given, would you prayerfully consider, as Jonathan asked, whether or not you would enter into membership at Disciples Church? And if not Disciples Church, we're okay with that. But please enter into covenant membership somewhere. Don't not be connected to a body. Jonathan and I will be working through the content and the rollout of that membership class and we'll begin setting up meetings with those of you who express interest in being part of that. Meetings that will help to get us get help us get to know you a little bit more, to hear your story of faith to the degree that we don't know it, and to answer any other questions that you have regarding what it means to be a member at Disciples Church. And the last now what is this? Get into gospel-centered community. You hear that from us 
often, and it's part of our mission statement, but none of what we're talking about today and none of these documents are keeping you from gospel-centered community. Find a few people to connect with regularly, people to know and love even as they get to know and love you. And Jonathan and I are very, very glad to help you think through that to understand what that might mean to be able to enter into that practically, but it really is this simple. Ask other believers over for coffee, breakfast, lunch, or dinner. Then ask one another these three things, at least. You can ask whatever you want, but at least ask these three things. What has been going great for you this week? What has been really difficult for you this week? And how can I pray for you this week? And then, as you do so, and everybody answers, actually pray for one another about those things. You will be amazed at how much something like that can connect your heart with someone else, and how you will feel loved and cared for and known in those things. And you'll desire nothing else out of relationships once you have it. We speak from experience. And then, having done that once, do it again the following week or the following month, whatever your personal schedules allow. Because, brothers and sisters, it is in the confines of gospel-centered community that we are the church. And that we enter into and grow in a covenant relationship with God and with one another. It just doesn't work any other way. God never intended it to. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, this church is your church. You have made us a body of believers of which Christ is the head. You have established a covenant with us by his shed blood and made us members of your family, your sons and daughters in his name. As a body is made up of members, so is your church each with different gifts and abilities, but bound together nonetheless. We are not only a body, but we are priests, ambassadors, and ministers for your sake and in your kingdom. This is who we are, and it's why we exist. Help us to believe it and live according to it. Thank you, God, for establishing Disciples Church as a local expression of what you have done and are doing globally and historically to make yourself known and to redeem the lost. Help us to depend upon you to do in and through us as Disciples Church what you intend only as you can. Speak to each of us as we need clarity and direction. Heal the hurts that have kept us from being known and knowing others and give us courage to open our mouths and our hearts that others may know and follow your most precious Son, in whom we have all that we need for life and for godliness. He alone is the cornerstone upon whom we as the church are built. We love and praise you for all that you are and all that you have done and all that you will do, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.